Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2 again this morning as we're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Luke. And today we plan to continue where we started last week, looking at the Christmas season, season, looking at the advent or the coming of Jesus into the world. And what we're going to be looking at is verses 8 through 20 this morning. And so if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of God's word as I read the rest of the account of the birth of Jesus, verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, now before I go any further, just remind you that where we are today is in Bethlehem. This region that we're talking about is in Bethlehem. Last week we saw how Mary and Joseph had gone to Bethlehem and laid Jesus in a manger. So, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 19, but Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for a time to come together to examine your word. And this is your invitation to us, for us to come to you and to find peace with you. And so we ask that this morning that you would grant us grace to respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to begin this morning by asking a question, which is, have you ever tried to, to convince someone, someone that you love, have you ever uh, sought to convince them that you love them and they didn't believe you? They didn't believe that you really love them. I want you to think about that. Have you ever had someone that you've tried to say, you know, I do love you, and they're like, it doesn't feel like it. Kind of like, you know, your three-year-old who you're trying to get to eat broccoli. 
I love you, honey. It doesn't feel like it right now. Or maybe you have a friend that's going down what you think is a wrong path. And so you go to them in love and you confront them and, and in love. But they end up not receiving it as love. And they end up severing the relationship and even, you know, cutting you off. Has that ever happened to you where you were walking in love? Or, you know, maybe it's the, the tables are reversed and maybe you're the one that someone has tried to convince that they love you. But, you know, you say, no, nah, by the way you're talking to me or by the way you're acting towards me, I am having a difficult time believing you. You know, the thing about love is that it is so complicated at times, isn't it? Isn't it? Especially when it comes to loving others and receiving love from others. And yet, you know, our, our master, our Lord Jesus Christ said in John 13, 35, that one of the earmarks of his disciples, one of the things that proves that we are his disciples is what? How we love one another. And, you know, true, unselfish, lay down your life for a friend kind of love can be very difficult at times and complicated because loving others and receiving love from one, one another sometimes requires us to love in ways that are painfully true. Amen? You guys following me on that? Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. True friends, at times we have to wound one another with the truth at times in love. And, you know, sometimes those wounds are so painful that, that with the ones that we love, that sometimes it's not received that way. And sometimes when that happens, it causes our relationships to be ended. And I want to show a video clip of what I think is a, a great example of, of what this looks like. Just to give you a little bit of background, it's about a football player who has an injury in a game, and in this video, the doctor is breaking the news to him that it, it is a uh, career-ending injury. So it's, very, it's pretty intense, I'm gonna go ahead and warn you about that, but I think it, it really shows what I'm trying to share, uh, share right now. Just let it relax. You have any pain? Not at all. Does this hurt? Nope. None of that hurts? <laughs> nope. Okay, go ahead and sit up and just let your legs hang over the side. Why don't you, in fact, why don't you go ahead and get dressed and. Let me look at the scan. I, I'm sorry, you're James's dad? No, I'm his uncle. Come over and let me, let me look at the scan with you. This is looking right through the middle of the knee and what we're looking at right through here is, is the ACL. And what this shows is that he's had a fairly significant, a fairly <laughs> serious injury. James, let me show you right through here is where the injury is. And, and it looks like you've had a pretty serious injury to that part of your knee. Significant enough that, that I have concerns about what you can do from here on. So when can I suit up? Well, let me just say, with how your knee felt when I examined it and what I see on the scan, with, with the, th the things that you do well, the reason you're great is that you can run and cut and hammer people and you don't hesitate because you've got a solid knee. When you don't have this ligament, you can't do that, so it's really out of the question. Wait, no, 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 that's, <laughs> that's not what Dr. Spencer said. He said three weeks. Three weeks is up, and I'm ready to play. I understand, I understand. But again, when I, based on what I see, when I feel your knee, examine your knee, what I see here, I see, I, you, you, you really can't play with this kind of injury. What are you talking safely. about I can't play? I'm gonna play. 
I'm ready to play. What I want is for you My to be able to. My team needs me. I'm ready to play. Listen to me. I am listening to you. I, I want I want what's best for you. You and I are on the same page. I want you we to be able to We ain't on the same page. No, we are. How you going to want what's best for me? Hold on, hold on. How you going to want what's best for me? You from Midland, right? Listen to me. You from Midland? Listen. Huh? I want you to be able to You just jealous because no, you from what, Midland. What I recommend, listen you to me. You jealous because you from Midland. Right. Who paying you? I, I recommend. Who paying you? Hey, you hey, trying hey, to take my football hey, career? No, let me take my football Let's get out of here. Let's try to take my football Pretty intense, isn't it? But that is kind of a picture of what it's like sometimes, isn't it? When we're trying to share love. This, is, this I think, is a great picture for us disciples of Jesus when we're communicating the love of God, the good news with others, why it can be challenging at times. And that's because in order for people to experience the love of God, before you can do that, you need to understand that you need the forgiveness of God. That's found only in Jesus. And you know, that can be such a painful truth, can't it? And like the, the football player in the video who was being given this bad news that, that this physical injury was a career-ending injury. We all have been given a spiritually, a spiritual career-ending injury. It's a, a deadly wound that was caused by sin. And it has ended our career, or better put, it has severed our relationship with God, our fellowship with God. And this sin diagnosis, it reveals that we have this brokenness within ourselves. And here's the, the most difficult part about this, is that we can't fix it ourselves. We try to. There's a lot of things that we do in life to try to fix this problem. But the truth is we can't fix it and that we need a Savior. And this truth can be so offensive at times when we're trying to share that with people. It can be so offensive that people can't get past it. And it's difficult to persuade them that God, he, he really does love you, but you need to see this first. God really does love you. He really does want what's best for you. And, and, you know, church, that's why we need to continue to examine passages like today's passage, the birth of Jesus together. And if you're taking notes, this is going to be the main idea that I want you to be able to walk away with this morning, which is this, is that the birth of Jesus, that which we are studying this morning, the birth of Jesus is meant to persuade all that God is for all. That's one of the things that God is trying to communicate here through the birth of Jesus. He wants to fully convince all of us that he truly loves us and that he is totally for us. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, up to this point, uh, we have been reminded that God, God's ways are not our ways. Because instead of, you know, when he was going to choose who the Son of God would come through, instead of choosing a prim and proper princess of noble birth to be the mother of Jesus, instead he entrusts his son to a humble yet faith-filled teenage peasant virgin girl. And when it came time for Jesus to be born, instead of making arrangements for him to be born in Caesar's palace, we saw last week that instead... On the night of his birth, Mary quietly lays him in a manger. 
in an animal's feeding trough. Why is that? It's because God did not make arrangements for him to be born even in the end. And you know, if there's anyone who could have questioned God's love for them, it would have been this couple, wouldn't it? It would have been Mary and Joseph. God, it's hard for me to believe that you love us right now. But the thing is, they believed God over their circumstances, and therefore they were able to remain faithful to the end. And, you know, that's what I want us to do this morning is I want to look closely and examine the evidence that's found in the birth of, of Jesus. Because if we do, it's going to serve to persuade us all that God is indeed for us all. And if you're taking notes, I've got four gospel truths I want to share with you this morning. And the first one is this. You can write this down. Is that we know that God is for us because God pursued reconciliation with us. God pursued reconciliation with us. Let's look at verse 8 again. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, what's interesting about this is when it came to sending out birth announcements about his son, which would proclaim the fulfillment of a 4,000-year-old promise that God made to Adam and Eve in the garden. Instead of sending the angel to recruit prominent influencers like Elon Musk or Taylor Swift or Jimmy Fallon, Instead of recruiting people like that to be his spokesperson, once again, God acts counterintuitively to our way of reasoning. And he enlists, or he goes to ordinary, seemingly insignificant, run-of-the-mill shepherds. People that are, if I'm honest, are like you and me. They are the first that get the honor, the privilege of hearing the good news about Jesus. And I want you to notice something in verse 9. And that is that God is the one who initiates this interaction with them. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, I have highlighted the Lord appeared to them because that's who is appearing to them through the angel. And that's why we talk about us as ambassadors as we go out. God wants to appear to the world through us. We're not God. We're humans. But he wants to, like the angel, they're not deity, but he uses the angels to proclaim the truth about his son. And this is the pattern that God gives us all throughout Scripture. He is always the pursuer, isn't he? He's always going to us he is the innocent, offended party, but he is always the one who initiates and pursues reconciliation with his people, with his sheep who have gone astray. It started back in the garden with Adam and Eve. He pursued them. He even pursued Cain. When, if you remember, when Cain killed Abel, he pursued him, wanting reconciliation with him. He pursued Noah. He pursued Abraham. He pursued King David. And then in our passage, uh, in our book of Luke, he pursued Zechariah, he came to him, then he came to Mary, and now he's come to the shepherds. And the point I'm trying to point out here is that God didn't wait for us to come to our senses and to return to him. Because if he had waited, he would still be waiting. We never would have come to him if he hadn't pursued us first. And that's what I want us to see 
the first thing that shows that God is for us is because he pursued reconciliation with us. Secondly, what I want you to see is that God became one of us. I know that we've heard this so many times, but by the grace of God, may this be fresh to us this morning. It says this in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Now, what kind of baby? A human baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, let me ask you something. If someone were to ask you something about Jesus, namely, if they were to ask you, is Jesus God or is Jesus man? How would you answer them? Okay. Well, I've got a survey here I want to kind of go over together with. Don't give me the right answer right at the beginning. I have to be able to, you know, walk through my progressions here. So, is Jesus is, is 50% God and 50% man, A. B, Jesus is a created human like you and me, just he was without sin. C, Jesus is God who appeared to be human. Or letter D, I'm not sure. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand which one you would answer there. Uh, but, you know, there is a, a fancy term that theologians who are much, much smarter than me use that's called the, uh, the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. And it attempts to answer that question whether Jesus is God or man. So this week, when you are, if, if you're ever confronted with someone that says, hey, is Jesus God or man? Say, have you ever heard about the hypostatic union? And they'll probably say no. Say, well, look it up. <laughs> Go look it up. That's the answer. Here's, here's what that means. It attempts to, to explain, to help explain how Jesus is both God and man at the same time. And it states that Jesus is one person with two natures. One person with two natures. You know what? We humans are one person with one nature, the human nature. Jesus is one person with two natures. Human nature and divinity, divine nature. And this does not mean that Jesus is 50% God and that he is 50% human, that is, that's mixed together, but rather that he is 100% God and that he is 100% man. Also, Jesus is not a created being like the angels. He has never ceased to be a member of the Trinity, the eternal Godhead. You have God the Father, you have God, the Holy Spirit, and then you have Jesus, who is the second person of the Godhead, God the Son. And, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever wondered why do we not align with Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, why would we not say that they are worshiping the same Jesus? And that it would be because they are worshiping a different Jesus, that they would say that Jesus at one point did not exist and that God brought him into existence which is not what our scriptures teach. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you might have some say, Well, you know what? Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus was just a man, a sinless man, who was able to go through life without sinning. And I do want to say that, that when it comes to who, God, uh, who Jesus is and his deity, I would agree he is not God the Father. We need to make sure that we understand he's not God the Father. He is God the Son. 
But we know that he is more than just a man because of this Christmas account that we're in. If you've ever, and I know you have, if you've ever read Matthew 2 about the wise men, I want you to look at this verse, these uh, verses, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Matthew 2, verse 2. It says this, uh, when, they, when they go before Herod, it says that they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have, look at that, come to what? To worship him. Then when they find Jesus in the house, it says, and going into the house, they fell down and what? Worshiped him. Now this is extremely important because when Jesus was baptized, when he came up out of the water at his baptism, he went into the desert for 40 days and for 40 nights to be tempted by Satan. And one of the temptations that Satan brings to him is he says, listen, if you will come and worship me, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms. You won't have to go through the cross. You can have it all now. And what does Jesus say to them, to him? He says in Luke 4, 8, he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus is saying you, will, you only are to worship God. But what we're seeing with the wise men is he is receiving worship there. And throughout his ministry, he receives man's worship. Again, proof, that's just one of the, the proofs that Jesus claimed to be God. And just to be clear, Jesus, the babe that's wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, he was God. But he was really a human baby. But he wasn't simply a human being who just represented God. He is the Son of God who is presenting God. And you might be sitting there going, okay, you've taken a lot of time to explain this. What's the big deal about Jesus being God and man? Well, it totally matters that he was man and that he was God. And Hebrews 2.17 explains this partly. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. In other words, Jesus had to become a human so that, and here's why, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or to make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to become human in order to pay for the sins of humans. In order to be our substitute, he had to be just like us. And here's what the, the wonderful, glorious truth about Jesus is, is that there is no one like Jesus. He is a one of a kind. He is the God-man. He is the only one who can reconcile and reunite God and man. And so we know that God is for us because he pursued reconciliation with us by becoming one of us and coming to earth. And the third reason we know that God is for us is because God extends his peace to us. Look at verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. It doesn't say they were filled with great peace. Oh, there's an ain't. No, they were filled with great fear. And you know, we experience fear when we enter into the presence of someone or something that we perceive to be greater than us. 
and more powerful than us and that has the power to do harm to us. And we need to remember that when the angel came to the shepherds, it was dark outside. And I don't know if you've ever been camping. Everything looks great during the day. But when that sun goes down and darkness begins to fill the land, you might have a campfire going. But if somebody just, if you're out nowhere, and somebody just kind of walks up to your fire out in the middle of nowhere, it's freaky. It, it, why? Because you don't know, <laughs> what are you doing out here? And then why are you coming out here right now? And you don't know what they have with them. And you don't know who else is out there that you can't see past the light of the fire. But in this situation, this is more than a man coming out of the dark with a flashlight. It's a mighty angel of the Lord, accompanied by the glory of the Lord. It says it shone around them. I'm picturing that they were blinded by it. And it says that this caused the shepherds to be filled with great fear. Now, you may have another translation that instead of putting fear, it says they were terrified. I think that's a better translation for what, what the angels were experiencing. And let me ask you, have you ever been terrified? I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, will someone hide? You know how when you hide behind a, the corner and someone jumps out and scares you? I'm not saying startled. I'm saying terrified to the point where you're aware I might die. This, this might be it. Um, I've had two situations like that in my life, and I've told this, one, this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. It's when I was out in Yellowstone. Kelly and I, uh, this, is, uh, this summer, it will be 29 years that this event happened. Kelly and I were separated uh, for about a year and a half in our marriage. That's another, a totally different story, but I would love to sit down with you and tell it to you because if you ever wonder if a marriage can be reconciled, our marriage was reconciled by God. That's another story. But I was out in Yellowstone living in my car. I wonder who was at fault in this marriage. But anyway, I was out in Yellowstone living in my car, backpacking in what's called the backcountry, where you by myself. Okay? Yeah, it's getting worse. And while I'm there during the day, I'm probably about 10 miles out from any civilization. I look up and there's this huge black bear coming down the pathway to me. Now, if you go out in the backcountry, they always make you watch this video that scares you to, uh, to death about bears. They're like, bears can destroy you, stay away from that type of thing. It's like you're filled with terror. And this bear started coming towards me. And immediately, when I saw that bear, I'm by myself, no one knows where I'm at. Something rose up within me, which I now know is called terror. I was terrorized by this bear. And you know what happens when you're terrorized? Here's how you know you're in terror. You start doing things involuntarily that you didn't know that you could do. And you don't, you're not the one doing it. And so I began yelling at this bear. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you what I said because it wasn't me. It was involuntary. But I started yelling at this bear and looking and picking up anything I could find and throwing it at that bear. And the whole time the bear was like, I think it yawned. I really do. And it walked off. My heartbeat and walked away. And I was like, yeah, yeah, don't mess with me. Until nighttime. I was in my tent. You hear it? Oh, terror rises up again. 
My point that I'm trying to get here is that this horror that I was experiencing was a horror that came from an encounter with God's creation. Something God had created. But how much more when we encounter the creator, the holy creator of the creation. And one of the things that we do as a church is is we want to make sure that we proclaim the good news of Jesus. We want to teach that God is loving, that he's kind, that he's patient, that he's merciful, and he is. But let us not forget that our God is holy, sinless, and we are not. And Hebrews 10 verse 31 says that it is a terrifying thing for someone whose sin has not been paid for. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And in Revelation 6, when when God's judgment is coming upon the earth, it's coming upon those who refuse to receive Jesus, those who refuse to come to him and to find forgiveness in Jesus. Look what, I want, you, I want to read what John says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. It says, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Earlier in Revelation verse 17, John has an encounter with the risen Savior, the holy risen Jesus. And if you remember, John was the disciple, probably the closest disciple that Jesus had, the one whom Jesus loved. He writes that when he saw Jesus in his resurrected form in heaven, he says, I fell at his feet as though dead. And what this teaches me is is it should teach us all that it doesn't matter how tough we think we are how much money we have or how powerful we are in this world. It doesn't matter. When we come into the presence of the holy, resurrected King of glory, not only do we begin to see who he is, but we become aware of who we are. And in the presence of the Holy Lord, we realize that we are unholy men, we are unholy women, we are unholy young people of unclean lips. And that produces terror because we realize that we have sinned and rebelled against our God, our holy creator. And we also realize that we deserve his judgment. And that's why we need a savior. And that's why it was good news to the terrified shepherds when the angel said, fear not, fear not. Verse 10, he says, and the angel said to them, fear not. God pursued reconciliation with us. God became one of us. And then the good news is that God extends his 
peace to us. And the angel said to them, fear not. You should fear, but don't fear. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to make sure that, I'm cl- that we're clear on verse 11. The, the angel is saying, a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born in the city of David, and he has been born for you. That is so important to understand. This Savior is for you. It is for, he is for everyone. And anyone who will believe. And verse 12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, this means uh, unexpectedly and out of nowhere, this would be caused just another jolt with the shepherds. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the, the word peace here that's, that the angels are proclaiming is not a earthly peace, a worldly peace that we sometimes or we all are longing for. A, a world, it's not talking about in this life not having wars and not having any trials or conflicts. Jesus has told us that, you know, sometimes when we follow him, it will bring more trials. Putting your faith in Jesus does not do away with all those things. Jesus says, make sure you count the cost. But what that, that word peace there that the, the angels are proclaiming is peace with God through the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. And it's also a peace with those who have peace with God. You know, the kingdom of heaven is about relationships, isn't it? Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another's one another and our relationship with those who are outside of God's family. And again, we, we see in this passage that, that God is for us because he pursued reconciliation with us. He became one of us. He extends peace to us. And so the, and the last thing, the truth that I want to share is that God awaits a response from us. It's not enough to just know about this truth, this invitation that God has given to us, this invitation of peace. It's gone out to all, for all to come to him through his son, Jesus. But you know what? We have to respond to it. And so I just want to close this morning by asking, have you RSVP'd to God's invitation? Have, have you responded? And I'm going to just show you what it looks like when we do. And it's right there in the passage. The shepherds are a great example of what it looks like when you really get the gospel. And I'm not talking about just for the first time. I'm talking about when you've been uh, saved for many years and you get the gospel afresh. This is what it looks like. Verse 15 says, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, how do you think, okay, before I read this, but how do you think they say what they're about to say? That's something just to think about this week. 
He says, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Do you see how they're just responding to the news? They're not going, God's not like, they're not having to go to a class and learn how to go to Bethlehem and see the baby and get excited. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't teach, that we don't need to teach things like that. But when you see who Jesus is and what you deserve, and you, re- you realize that he's offering you forgiveness, and you receive it, it produces the joy and the peace that the angels are declaring here in the passage. And I want us to notice that the message of the angel to the shepherds was not this. It was not this, and we need to hear this. It was not, listen, if you will go to Bethlehem, then God will send his son and wrap him in a swallowing cloth and lay him in a manger. It's not dependent upon them doing something. What, what the angels are saying is God has already done it. It's all been done for you. You simply need to believe and receive what he has done for you. As one scholar recognizes that they do not go to Bethlehem in order to believe, but because they believe. And so I just want to close by saying that God is awaiting our response. Have you responded to his invitation of reconciliation and peace through Jesus Christ? And I want to start with the church. Your answer may be yes. I have responded to that. Well, let me ask you this. Have you responded to it today? I'm not talking about getting saved again. I'm talking about believing afresh the things that made you excited when you first believed. If not, if you can say, you know, I'm really not there, then I want you to look at verse 19 that says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That word treasured means guarded. She guarded these things. Everything that was, she was experiencing, probably from the time of the angels uh, coming to her to this moment, she is guarding these things. She's not going to let them go. She's going to keep going over them and pondering them in her heart. That church is what keeps the gospel fresh within us and gives us power to be to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Now, if you this morning have never responded to Jesus, I want to give you an invitation to do that this morning. I want to give you an invitation to, to, that God is giving through me. He wants you to know that he is for you, that he loves you. And we know that because he sent his son, Jesus, born of a virgin. He did not stay in the manger. He grew and was sacrificed for our sin to prove God's love for you. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've not responded to Jesus this morning, to lay your life before him. Give yourself to him. Surrender to him and believe the good news that God loves you that he wants you to be his, his child and he wants to give you life he wants to give you purpose and he wants you to be with him for eternity I want to encourage you to respond to that this morning now as we're closing I want to uh, we get to do what we do every week and that is we get to remember 
the truth of God's love for us in what we call the Lord's Supper. In just a minute, the, the ushers are going to come down and they're going to pass uh, the, the plates that have a cup with juice in it and with bread. And just as a reminder, that cup, the juice and the bread, are to remind us of this truth that God is for us. He is for all of us. And the reminder is that Jesus proved it by dying for us. And so the, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And the, the, the juice represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for our sins. It reminds us that we have a Savior. We couldn't save ourselves. It reminds us that we have a Savior. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, this cup is for you. And God says, before you take it, though, examine yourself. If, is there any sin that you have not repented of, that you're not willing to repent of? He says, repent of it. And then receive my forgiveness and take the cup. Or if, there's, if you have a relationship with a, a brother or a sister or someone that, in as much as it has to do with you, that you need to make right, he says, make that right. Then come and receive my forgiveness and take of the cup. Now this morning, if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, we would ask that you would just let the, the plate pass by you uh, or accept Jesus this morning. Then rejoice in your first uh, communion as a child of God. And then what I want you to do is afterwards, at the end of the service, after we dismiss, I'm going to be up here at the front. If you've put your faith in Jesus this morning, I want to ask that you'd come tell me so we, I can pray with you and we can get you moving forward as a, as a newborn child of Christ and grow in your faith in him. Whatever God is calling you to do this morning, during this time, I want to encourage you to be obedient and rejoice knowing that God is for us. Amen.